It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The following podcast is hashtag Boone approved. It's time for another edition of the Brett Boone Podcast. Remember when me and you almost went to blows? Lou sent me down three times too, so I know what you're talking about. With your host, MLB All-Star, Brett Boone. Bottom line is, you will become a successful major league hitter by hitting pitcher's mistakes. As he sits down with his sports and entertainment friends from around the world. You are not going to be a successful major league hitter if you hit pitcher's pitches. This isn't just any former jocks podcast. To change the outcome, you got to change the income. You got to change what goes in. And that changes to what goes out. Often duplicated, but never replicated. Just like his bat flip. Okay, now the party starts. The responsibility starts now. Now in its fourth year, this is the one and only Brett Boone Podcast. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm joined by one of the greatest pitchers of all time. The 10-time All-Star, five-time Cy Young Award winner and a World Series champion. Back in uh, the Kingdom days in Seattle, we were teammates. He's also a fellow Trojan. Ladies and gentlemen, Randy Johnson. Randy, thanks for coming on the program, man. My, my pleasure, Booney. Thanks for having me. You got it. All right. Spring training. I'm, I'm going to get this out of the way. Stupid. I'm going to watch it a million times in the next probably two or three weeks. Hitting the bird. Give me the short version. What did short version. Uh, 2001 spring train down in Tucson. We were playing the San Francisco Giants. And uh, the only reason it was even captured on camera was because our hitters uh, requested uh, a small little camcorder out there. And our camera guy put a camcorder out in center field. So um, I would be able to watch my pitching mechanics and hitters would be able to watch their, you know, swings, if you will. And uh, so it was running. And uh, that's the only reason it was captured. Uh, you know, there was it wasn't on TV. It was just a little camcorder that caught that. So the only people that would have been able to talk about it were, would have been the people that saw it. But. It went viral, obviously, back when uh, it got released. And uh, after 22 years of Major League Baseball, that's the highlight of my career. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about all the ABs I've had in spring training. There were a lot. I don't remember even seeing a bird in my line of sight when a pitch was. So he comes out of nowhere. You just hit it. And what are you thinking? Did you know right away it was a bird or you think? No, I, to be honest with you, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was somebody just pulling a joke or something because you know I'm just I'm, I'm focused I make the pitch and then all of a sudden just something it didn't register right away that it was a bird until uh Jeff Kent uh who was on the on deck circle the ball got you know propelled to him on the on deck circle and then he just kind of picked it up 
and then it kind of registered. But initially when it happened, it was kind of like, wow, what did we just see? Everybody's oohing and on in the stands. And uh, initially at first I thought maybe somebody threw something, uh, you know, from the dugout or whatever. I, I didn't know. But then to, to, to see what happened, uh, I mean, what's the chances? What's the chances, you know? Zero. You're the only one I know. Yeah, well, uh, in baseball, anyways, from what I from what I know, but uh, on social media, every once in a while, someone will tag me, and they'll be playing golf at, uh, and they'll be teeing off, and you know, they'll hit a bird or something like that, and they'll they'll, they'll go, "Hey, we just had a Randy Johnson moment." <laughs> <laughs> Back to your Montreal days, you were by the time we were teammates, and and for those of you listening to the Boone Podcast, watching the Boone Podcast, Randy and myself, I came up in 1992. We were, we were teammates through 93. Then I moved on. Randy moved on eventually. Um, the big unit. Now, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, when I was a kid just coming to the big leagues, you know how it is when you're first year a rookie. You're just, you don't know which way's up. You're just trying to stay in the big leagues. So I'm figuring somebody like Jay Buner or Griffey named you the big unit. Not true. It was in Montreal. From what yeah, well, well, most people don't even know that I started a career before Seattle. A lot of people think I just started my career in Seattle, but I actually played four years of minor league baseball, rookie ball, A ball, double A, and triple A in Montreal, uh, and then eventually got called up in 88 to Montreal Olympic Stadium, and I made four starts in 88, and uh, – Tim Raines, uh, who was my teammate at the time in 88, uh, was taking batting practice. And I was kind of hovering around the batting cage, if you will, and he walked out of the batting cage and the, the brim of his batting helmet hit like, you know, the middle of my chest. And so he was looking up like a foot and a half. And then it just, it, he called me, wow, you're a big unit. And then after that, he just kind of, hey, what's up, unit? You know, uh, and then it just kind of stuck with uh, everybody. I, I I think of that, and that's that's a similar Tim Timmy Rains coming up to your navel. That's that's something like I would do. My challenges were coming up through the minor leagues, is especially when I was young in in high school and college. The knock on me was, oh well, Brett not, might not be big enough. Well, you're you got the complete opposite. I had Richie Sexton on the show recently. And I talked to him about the challenge. He's a good friend of mine, but also a teammate. And I remember hitting BP with him. And I think, Richie, how nice would it be for me to have your leverage as far as yeah. the ballpark? And he would look at me. He goes, yeah, Brett, but you don't have these arms that are a foot longer than yours. So much more can go wrong. I, we talked about things. I go to a concert with Richie. I'm standing on the box. He's sitting down. So the people behind him, <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, I played. I play with. Uh, I play with Richie here in uh, in Arizona. Uh, he's one of uh, only a handful of people that hit a home run off the scoreboard in center field here at uh, Chase Field. Yeah, hit it off his face. Right. But but how was it for you? Were there challenges for being? Well, so of course tall? there was. You know, you got you're, you're taller, like you're saying. Uh, you know about uh, you know Richie. For for me, I'm pitching, and so. You know, I'm 60 feet, six inches away. I'm trying to get, you know, a baseball, you know, over home plate in a strike zone the size of a shoebox. And in order to do that, you have to be consistent with your mechanics. Well, that was one thing that I wasn't early on. That's one thing that why I went four years in the minor leagues. That's one 
reason why when I got to Seattle initially, I kind of struggled. I led the league in walks, you know, and, and strikeouts, you know. Uh, it's one reason why my pitch counts were so high, and I would only be in the fifth inning because I was walking six, seven batters a game, you know, because I couldn't repeat my mechanics. So eventually and inevitably – I realized how important mechanics were, and uh, down the road, uh, Annette or USC alumni Tom House, who was the pitching coach for the Texas Rangers at the time, uh, and Nolan Ryan uh, was on the team still, uh, Tom asked me if I wanted to watch Nolan Ryan throw a bullpen uh, to benefit me to understand the mechanics that would, would help me inevitably. And so uh, seeing it firsthand uh, was really beneficial. Uh, then I had to incorporate it because I'd obviously been doing it incorrect most of my life and or wasn't able to repeat the proper mechanics, you know, a majority of the time out there. And so I incorporated it, and uh, that was in 92. And then in 93 in Seattle, that was my first really big year. I think I won 17 or 18 games, led the league in strikeouts. My walks went down. My ERA was down a little bit. And I was able to be a little bit more competitive uh, because I was finding myself even or ahead in the count, not, you know, behind in the count, 3-1, 3-0, or what have you. And uh, the game was becoming a lot more fun for me because I was able to repeat these uh, uh, pitches and I was able to go deeper in the game and become more competitive. Yeah, and it, it's and, and I got to, you know, I played behind you for a year and a half. And I watched when you were just catching your stride. Uh, but I often wondered about it because I'm thinking, man – being that big, yeah, the, the advantage. And for years I'd faced you, and I hated facing you. By the way, for those who listening, Randy owned me. I think I got two hits off of Mike. However, I did take you deep in Tucson. There you go. If you remember it. How about this? We're in Tucson. We're in a spring training game. I, I hit a homer off Randy. He kind of looking at me. We were ex-teammates. And he goes, hey, Booney, <laughs> that doesn't count. And I said, shit, it counts for me. It feels good because I haven't done too well off you in the regular season. But it's those angles and – not only were you throwing 100, and everybody thought, I'm going to get into the actual pitcher that you really were. Everybody has this disillusion of Randy Johnson. He's 6'10", he throws 100. There's a lot more to it than that. When, when he's backdooring you with two seamers, we'll get to that later. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I just think you were so different than everybody else as a hitter because you're all arms and legs, and you're that close, and you're hitting your spots. It was It was a nightmare. But I want to talk to you about, your photography. I'm really interested in this. And and when you retired, you found another passion. I was with Junior at the uh, All-Star game this year. He's taken it up. I didn't know. I don't know if he's co- reached out to you for, for advice. It seems like you were kind of someone like Randy's enjoying it. I want to get into it. Yeah, several times he's called me, yeah. But it um, seems... Actually, I studied, actually, I studied photography, photojournalism at USC. I heard that. 83, 84, 85, I studied photojournalism. So I worked for the Daily Trojan, as you know, the college newspaper there. Yeah. Uh, John Suhu, he's a famous uh, L.A. photographer, uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers photographer. He's been there for 30, 40 years now. He was the um, – he worked for the Daily Trojan and was ahead of all the photographers. And uh, so basically – 
I would just walk around campus and he would give me an assignment. You know, the greatest assignment I ever had was nobody wanted to do this. And that was go across the street from the USC campus, go over to the LA Coliseum and take pictures of the band, the who in the clash. And, uh, and they would use those pictures for the Daily Trojan as a concert review. And I still have some of those pictures. But it all started back then. And I learned how to develop film back then, uh, a little bit more about photography. And then, obviously, in 85, I got drafted uh, my junior year out of USC by Montreal. And then my minor league career started for four years. And really, you know, the camera didn't really um, – see much daylight then uh just really trying to you know get better at at uh, baseball and pitching and then eventually uh that short period of time that I got called up to Montreal uh, was very brief and then eventually in uh in 89 I got traded to Seattle and then my my 10-year uh, career in Seattle really started and it was still a work in progress. Like I said, it wasn't, you know, I got there in 89. It wasn't until 92 when I had that conversation with Tom House, Nolan Ryan. So, you know, 1990, 91, and half of 92 was a lot of struggles. Uh, you know, um, some uh, some highlights, if you will. I remember uh, 1990 in the Kingdom, I pitched my first no-hitter against the Detroit Tigers. Uh but I also remember calling my dad on the landline in the training room there in, in Seattle. And he had already heard about it somehow, maybe on the news or whatever. And uh, he goes, yeah, I saw you through a no-hitter, but why would you walk six or seven batters? <laughs> so, so that's what I was talking about. It was just a lot of struggles early on because I couldn't repeat my mechanics. Uh, on days that I pitched well, I pitched great. And you know, as a uh, as an athlete, you just want to be able to repeat what you do. Be competitive out there, uh, and inevitably and eventually, I was able to do that. But it, you know, I, I took some lumps along the way and uh, some humbling. And but when I had that conversation and things got ironed out, it was a lot of fun because. I, inevitably, I was able to throw a little bit harder because now I was able to use all my body and go towards home plate. I wasn't falling off towards the mound. Things weren't perfect, but they were a lot better. And uh, and then when I started seeing some success, well, then I started watching some of the better pitchers at the time in the league, you know, and understanding what pitching was really about. It's just not about throwing 100 miles uh, out there and it's really about getting ahead in the, in the count and and be able to offset uh, the hitter's timing and, you know, pitching according to their weaknesses. And and so it was, you know, that 10 years in Seattle, I had some really good years there, but it was really early on, it was really a learning process for me. And then when I left the 98 and went to Houston for two months, um, you know, that it, it then really took off. You know, I made 11 starts in Houston, and I went 10-1 and one with the one ERA. And then after the season was over, I became a free agent. And uh, I was talking to the Dodgers, the Angels, the Texas Rangers, and then obviously the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I ended up playing here in Arizona, obviously, uh, for, for about uh, six years. Uh, and then during that run, we won a World Series, and I won four straight Cy Youngs. But, you know, what – most people probably would have thought that, you know, 
also in 1996, I had back surgery in, in Seattle, and I was in my 30s then, but I was really playing catch-up. Everybody says you were, you know, you, you took a long time to finally get to where you wanted to be, and, and they're right. I was a late bloomer, if you will, but I think that's because I didn't have that conversation with Nolan. I didn't understand mechanics. Uh, I wouldn't have even pitched that long uh, as long as I did, had I not had that conversation, uh, because that was really uh, educational. And from that point on, when I had better mechanics, I saw the results between the lines. And then outside the lines, I was starting to figure, you know, what can I do to, to be better and to, and to recover faster? So, you know, then I started you know, eating a little bit better, working out a little bit harder, doing more functional exercises. You know, back then I was throwing 130, 140 uh, pitches a game. It's kind of unheard of now, but in our generation, the game was a lot different then. And so uh, I realized after having back surgery one time in Seattle, how important your core is. It's important for whether you play golf or swinging a baseball bat or pitching at six foot 10 and bending over. 130, 140 times. But when that got injured, I finally met a, a person here in Arizona, my my trainer, and he inevitably became my, my trainer for the rest of my career. He told me all about how important core strength is. And the things that I was doing then in 96, people were kind of looking at me in, in Seattle like, you know, I was on my, the styrofoam roller or on the ball doing core exercises and it just was kind of unheard of then, you know, to be doing all that kind of stuff. And now everybody's doing it. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. You bring up an interesting point, and, and we all do. And, and as a hitter, uh, man, you, you talk about your pitching journey and Nolan being a big part of that. You know, my hitting journey, I remember as a young player, I, I was just trying to make it. I just wanted to to, to establish myself as a player. Right. Time goes on. I learned things as I went. Edgar was a big guy for me when I went back to Seattle the second time. 
and, and the thought process that we went through, how to think through the at bat. Man, I wish I'd have had that five years earlier, but at least sure. I got it for the last five years of my right. career. There's a lot of truth to that on the pitching side as well on the hitting side. But you mentioned I'm looking through your numbers and and it was 200 plus innings in your heyday was like a joke. Like of course we're going to get to 200 innings. Right. And you know I understand the game's different today. Uh, it's built for the bullpen. They got they put a lot of resources in the bullpen, which in our day they didn't. It was all right. in the starting pitching. Um. But I just wonder, I, I just sit there for a guy like you that pitched so many innings year in and year out to look at the modern day player and go, how can you not go 200 innings? There's a way to train for that that doesn't really make it a detriment long term. It's been done before. Yeah. Just brief thoughts on that. Well, I mean, I, I do radio and TV occasionally here in Arizona for the Diamondbacks and and I've talked to people about it and it's just not what it's not where the game is today, but as a pitcher that played, you know, 26 years, you know, 22 in the majors, four in the minor leagues, it's, it's all I knew. It's all I wanted to do was, was go as deep in the game as I could. It wasn't unheard of to throw 130, 140 pitches, you know. I might have 15 strikeouts in a game, and I might have a high pitch count, you know. Uh, but I always thought – that's that's the starting pitcher's job to go as long and as far as he can on that day, and then five days later do it again. And the fact that organizations today don't ask their starting pitcher to do the same things that my generation and generations before me were doing, that they tend to ask the bullpen to pick up the slack, if you will. I just don't understand that. And this is the biggest thing, the, big, the biggest problem I have with it is that I don't think that pitchers today will ever realize how good they could have been if they were getting those extra two or three innings per start. Because now you're not put out there. You know, we played uh, uh, for Lou Pinello. Right. And after a while... You know, when I got when when I was pitching really good up there, and he became the manager, we we kind of talked, and he said, "If you just be honest with me, and you tell me when you want to come out, then I'm never going to ask you if you want to come out. Just be on that, that." But that came with, you know, that came that was a lot of respect that he had for me, but it came. Because I was proving that I was capable of doing that there for that team at the time. And I think that pitching all those extra pitches in a game, going through some tight situations and getting out of them, not all the time, but you learn when you did what you, the mistakes you did. So you, so you don't repeat those. But in today's game, I don't think pitchers mentally or physically will grow as much as they could if they're taken out of a situation and a bullpen pitchers being brought in to try to bail them out. I look at the game and, and, and let's, there's a few exceptions, older, older pitchers in the game, a Justin Verlander, for example, I think Verlander still has the mindset that I'm the starting pitcher and I'm going nine. Doesn't mean he's going to go nine in the modern no. day game. You're, the, the, the organizations aren't probably going to let you go nine unless it's one of those immaculate low pitch count. 
Sure. But I think he still has the mindset. I, I, I think the, the, the great ones, and they have to be older, still have the mindset of when I take the ball, I'm going seven, eight, nine innings. Doesn't mean they're going to, but the mindset's there. I think for the modern day player, and it's not to their, I don't think it's their fault. I think it's the culture. I think it's how they're brought up. I think sure. they're told, listen, we want you to dominate for five innings. That yeah. becomes the mindset. Sure. And I think that's part of the problem is the young pitchers today go, hey, I got my five innings in. Back in our day, five innings, and and I say, unit, give me the ball. You're gonna look at me like I'm crazy. Like, yeah, I was just, I was just, I was just getting warmed up then. Right, right. So it's a mindset versus anything else. The 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 generation that's still playing in today's game, like you're talking about, the Verlanders, the uh, Max Scherzers, the Kershaws, and I'm probably missing a few, but that generation of players that have ten to fifteen years under their belt, they were. Most of those pitchers were rookies when I was getting towards the end of my career. Uh, so they saw what was happening, and and they wanted to do that. And they, they earned the right to do that based on the pitcher that they were. But as, as the game has gone on, you know, they've gotten older. That's still their mindset, and it was still my mindset at age 46, the year I retired. I still wanted to go out and pitch seven or eight innings, but – Physically, I may not be able to do that, but that didn't mean it wasn't my mindset. But the pitchers of this generation, you know, it may even start in the minor leagues. That they're they're not they're not trained to go six, seven innings, you know. So they're not as durable uh, in their mindset as uh, just to pitch five or six innings, and then you've done your job and then the bullpen comes in, but it all starts in the minor leagues. And like you said, it's not their fault. It's just the organization's thought process. All 30 teams think that same way. Uh, but the biggest problem I have, like I've already said was you get a pitcher um, and he's borderline superstar, um, you know, over the next 10 years, because, he has the ability and the mindset to go out there and succeed by by pitching two more innings and getting and throwing ten more pitches. Uh, you have to have the mindset to really dig down deep and get out of that inning, you know. And you know it's a physical thing, it's a mental thing, and you grow that way. And I grew that way in Seattle and the teams that I played for after Seattle. And even while I was in Seattle, paid the dividends because I learned how to do that, you know, through failing and through succeeding. But I was given the opportunity, like a lot of other pitchers, you know, if you're capable of going out there and continuing to do something, they're going to let you do it. In today's game, the leash is a little shorter and you don't get that opportunity. And I just think because you're not allowing a pitcher to go out there and extend himself you know he's not doing anything that you know pitchers haven't done for a hundred years before him and I just think you're handcuffing him and he'll never know how many innings he could have thrown in a game uh or uh in a year or how good he could have been and uh and I just think that I, I truly feel that and that's based on experience if if I had never gotten that opportunity to pitch for Lou and go out there and, uh, you know, lose, say, well, 
you right now are better than anybody I got out in the bullpen. So just stay out there and and get it done, you know. And that's the mindset. And and when a manager tells you that, I I, I would run through a brick wall for Lou because he gave me that opportunity to grow as a pitcher. Um, and there was nothing. There was no other manager that I played for. Uh, that I wanted to win for more because he was the first manager that really allowed me to grow as a pitcher. And, and had I not grown and had that conversation with Nolan, my career would have been shorter. My numbers wouldn't have been as good. And my mindset to to want to play longer, to do the things that I would have to do to play longer, condition and, and work harder. And then eventually, you know, you know, not look for strikeouts because it would really kind of, you know, taxed your arm and your body as I got older. Uh, but I got smarter as time went on. And uh, but there's a lot of steps that I took that got me where I was manager, you know, that I played for that would allow me to go out there and do that a conversation with Nolan, a trainer that would kind of help me get to where I need to be and have me do the right exercises that are simulating what I'm doing out on the mound, you know, not like pumping, you know, 250 pounds on bench press. It doesn't do anything for you, but doing functional exercises that would allow me to go out there and throw 130 pitches in a game, throw 230, 240 innings in a season, you know. Uh, I just feel like it's a – just, just like hitting, you know, you grow as a hitter through failure and succeeding. And if you have the ability to pick the mindset of someone like Edgar, well, I did too, you know. And, you know, I would I would talk to him, hey, in this situation, what are you looking for, you know, as a pitcher, you know. And you, you benefit a lot more as a hitter, but talking to him and then talking to other hitters who you probably became friends with or watching them, you know, watching Greg Maddox. Now, I don't have that kind of stuff, but watching how and why he was so successful, I can still try to, in my own way, I can still try to incorporate that. You know, I didn't throw 95 to 100, you know, towards the end of my career. So now I'm throwing a two-seam or a change-up a little bit more and pitching to contact and wanting to get a double play instead of striking out the side, which I couldn't do anymore. So I was morphing into a different pitcher because I, you know, went to 35 in the last year of my career was 46. I'm not the same pitcher. You know, I have to understand that and pitch accordingly. And a smart pitcher in today's game, if they're lucky enough to pitch 10, 15 years, they'll understand that early on, especially if they're throwing 95 to 100, they realize that they're not going to be able to do that forever. So now you got to later in your career be a little bit smarter. Throw some two seamers. Throw changeups. Throw a little bit more to contact, and and don't be afraid, you know, of of having the hitter put the ball in play. That's what your defense is out there for. I do remember when I first that ninety two ninety three. And I remember you in particularly, you'd come around to the hitters and you always had days that you weren't pitching. You'd always have questions for us. Like, well, hey, I go ahead. You, you are in the process of learning your craft. All right. What are the hitters thinking when I'm out there? And that makes perfect sense. Now, 
I faced you now. Now you left. Uh, I left Seattle. You left Seattle. And we faced each other a few times throughout our career. The the question I always get: What was it like to face Randy? I said, well, it was a pain in the ass. You'd look at my stats. I didn't do too well off him. I said, but here's the misnomer out there. 6'10", throws 100. That must be really tough. I said, you know what? If he was 6'10", and he just threw 100, I can handle that. That right. doesn't bother me, the 100. Right. But it's the way Randy pitched, especially as he went on through his career. He wasn't a thrower. He was a pitcher. I'd get to 2-0, and I'd be thinking, he, it doesn't necessarily – mean that you're going to throw me a heater down the middle right he might he might too he you used to front door me with that two seamer and it would drive me crazy because i'd pull back and i'd think that's a ball and i'd look on the tape and that son of a bitch would come back a la like a maddox would do right that 2-0 back door when you got a hundred in your back pocket but you put in my mind as the hitter but i might flip you that slider for a strike right here that's what truly pitching's all about. And that's why I tell people, I said, Randy wasn't just out there hucking it, man. I said, Randy, especially veteran Randy, honed in Randy, he was pitching. And now he's got the 100 on top of that. That's what made you so dominant. From, from about 93 on, from about 93 on is when I really started developing into a pitcher, watching more pitchers, talking to more hitters, understanding what was making me successful. But a lot of hitters, you know, also had my number. And, you know, you, you talk to hitters today or even when I was towards, you know, the end of my career. And, you know, you find out how predictable I was in certain ways, you know. Everything, you know, um, you know, and then I, I find out through hitters, you know, hey, you're fanning your glove on a breaking ball. You're squeezing your glove on a fastball, you know. So, you know, I learned over time that not everything was perfect, but whatever I was doing, you know, to develop and become a better pitcher was working. But I still had things that, you know, were for a good hitter could see and and benefit from whether it was tipping pitches uh, in the middle or late of my career, uh, like I said, or or starting hitter off with the two seamer down and away. And early in my career, everything was into a right-handed hitter. You know, my select my breaking balls obviously down and into a to a, a right-handed hitter, and I didn't start throwing a four seamer. Uh, or a two-seamer down away to hitters until a little bit later in my career. So every my fastballs were usually into a right-handed hitter, and then my breaking ball was down in. So, you know, talking to hitters, they said, yeah, you, you were kind of predictable early in your career because everything was into me. So I never had to look away, you know, and that made sense. And so if I would have had this information, well, then I would have been able to change. But, you know, over time, I started understanding that myself, and that was simply because I was getting older. I, I was trying to pitch to a little bit more soft contact, if you will. That's why I developed that two-seamer, and every once in a while, if I'd get ahead in the count, one, two, 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 oh, two, then I would, I'd throw that four-seamer down away instead of in, you know, because now they might be looking for a breaking ball in, down and in, 
and now I, I freeze them with a four-seamer down away. So you know, it, it took time to develop and understand and, and not pitch in patterns. But early on, I think, you know, to some degree, most hitters say that every, just about every pitcher kind of does something that if you watch them long enough will kind of tip their pitch. But I definitely know I was doing it because as soon as they told me what I did, I went back and looked at film, and sure enough, you know, I would squeeze my glove on a fastball because I was thinking power, you know, and a hitter could see my glove kind of folded, and then my hand would would be gripped the ball a little bit different, and I wasn't thinking as much power on my breaking ball, and my glove would be fanned open. So they could see that. I mean, Chipper Jones um, at the Hall of Fame, you know, he had great numbers off me. Uh, I think he's got the most home runs off me. And he said, yeah, you were – we had your pitches. And, uh, you know, when he said what I was doing, then I would go talk to Cal Ripken, you know, and he goes, oh, yeah, you know, uh, Robbie Alomar would sit in the dugout and would tell everybody what you were doing. Some people wanted to know that. Some people didn't. Um, but, you know, then I talked to Sandy Koufax and people like that, and they go, you know what? Everybody had my pitches too. You just – you make your pitches and you do what you do and um, because it's hard to change things. It was, it, was, it was hard for me inevitably to have better mechanics, but inevitably it worked. And then that was something that I didn't learn until a little bit later in my career. Like, I, as I got a little bit older, I just saw hitters, like, spit on my breaking ball, and they wouldn't even swing at it. And I'm going, what's going on here? It's like, normally I would get swings. They would screw themselves in the ground. And that's because normally I didn't throw that, you know, get-me-over slider. It was one 2 oh, 2 I was trying to bury it on their back foot, and they would see that it was coming, and they wouldn't even swing at it. You know, so I learned a lot of things over time, you know, and those things would have been beneficial had I known, but it also made the game, I guess, in some way, a little bit more challenging for me. (laughs) I'll tell you, those guys, and there are a handful, every team I was ever on, there was always a few guys that were, that was kind of their job. They're at the top step and they're picking pitches. Booney, you want to know the pitches? Well, hell yeah. If you could get them to me now, everybody didn't tip and every, you know, I'm sure you had instances where you were tipping, you made an adjustment. Uh, now I don't have Randy's pitches anymore. It, he's made an adjustment. And right, that's, right. The cat, that's the cat and mouse in the game. I got a few more and I'll let you go. All right. Uh, last year, uh, your Diamondbacks, and and uh, you still in Arizona right now? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking yeah. from Arizona. You won a World Series 2001. Uh, I'm a little envious. That was supposed to be our Mariners year. We won all those games. We didn't end up. Yankees ended up beating us going to Arizona. You you and you were MVP of the of the World Series that year. This past year, uh, they went back. Pretty cool seeing the city of Arizona kind of perk up because it's been a long time since the Diamondbacks been in a world. Yeah, there's been a lot of growing pains. Uh, there's been some there's been some good teams here and they've uh, they've done some nice things, but to go to the World Series is what all 30 teams shoot for in spring training and it's not to say that this team wasn't shooting for that, 
but realistically, I think it was just more about developing players that were coming up from the minor leagues to see if they could handle the job. Our payroll wasn't that high. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, things really clicked. You know, uh, the team the team struggled early on, early in the year. And then, you know, the second half of the season, they, they picked things up. And uh, the rotation got a little bit stronger. And uh, Corbin Carroll, uh, our young uh, superstar on the team, really uh, uh, electrified uh, uh, the, uh, the fans and inspired uh, his teammates, I think. And uh, Guriel, uh, who plays out in uh, left field, uh, he's a really good hitter. And there was just enough uh, veteran players on the team that uh, to kind of overlook the, the young kids. But inevitably, towards the end of the season, the team was on a roll. And, um, and the Diamondbacks had to you know, play all of their playoff games on the road. They had to go to Milwaukee, uh, and they swept Milwaukee. And then during this whole time, the Dodgers were resting uh, for a week or what have you. And after the Diamondbacks beat Milwaukee, well, then they went to, you know, L.A. and they beat Kershaw there and uh, they came home. And next thing you know, we're beating the Dodgers. And so um, when you're doing that and you're kind of the underdog, I mean, I think Milwaukee won the Central, if I'm not mistaken. So they beat Milwaukee, who won the Central uh, or at least finished second. I'm not. I can't remember if they won or or finished second in the Central last year. And then they beat the Dodgers. You know, now that's just more momentum, more confidence, and you know how well that works. Uh, the team never took a break. You know, they were playing, and it was just like uh, you know they were steamrolling. You know, like the Dodgers took that long break after, and they didn't have. They had like a bye week, if you will. Uh, they didn't have to play in the playoffs for a while until we played them. And and next thing you know, the Diamondbacks have everything rolling. The pitchers are pitching well. Uh, Brandon Paft uh, was uh, was the number three starter on the team. Uh, and he uh, didn't have a great year numbers-wise. But when he was asked to go out and do what he did, he did it really well. And, uh, and that was a big shot in the rotation. Uh, behind the two uh, big guys that uh, that we had here. Uh, I suspect that this year will be a lot of fun to watch uh, now that the team has grown, but I also realize that the Dodgers have gotten better. They've gone out and, and have done what they do. You know, they got uh, Shohei Otani, and then um, they got the uh, left-handed pitcher. Uh, I believe he's left-handed, if I'm not mistaken. Uh from Tampa Bay, uh, they also signed uh, another oh, Japanese Glass now. Yeah, yeah. Glass yeah. now from Tampa Bay, and then Matsumoto. No. Yes, uh, the kid from Japan. So they've they've just reloaded, and then they still have pitchers coming back that were hurt last year. Bueller, Bueller. Uh, Dustin May, big uh, redheaded uh, uh, kid that throws you know a million miles an hour. And so, and then they got Kershaw there that, you know, is really probably in a perfect situation now with all this youth ahead of him 
he can pitch a little bit more comfortably in a number four, number five spot. So yeah. I think the Diamondbacks, after having the success that they had last year, they still have confidence. You know, yesterday was the first day of pitchers and catchers, and uh, most of the team is here. You know, most of the position players are even, 90% they said are here. Uh, I would suspect that the National League West, you know, will be will be the best division in all baseball. And I say that because you got San Diego, who's got a lot of talent there, and eventually things will get hopefully, you know, worked out down there. And then Bob Melvin went from San Diego to San Francisco. He'll get that team competing well. And then you got the Dodgers, and then you got the Diamondbacks. So you got four of the what, five teams, six teams in the NL West that are really competitive. And uh, if nothing else, you're going to have at least three in the very end, which will be the probably the Diamondbacks, the Dodgers, and either San Francisco or San Diego. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I think the coolest part last year watching watching the Diamondbacks down the stretch is n- nobody believed it, and, and they counted them out every single series. Yeah. And all they did all they did is keep winning. I think that core group of players coming back this season, uh, the amount of confidence that they obtained through that run they just went through is immeasurable. And I think going forward in their careers, anytime there's doubt, because let's face it, Ray, we play a game that – Man, you you better not have a fra- fragile ego because you will get humbled time after time after time, and to to have those experiences like the Diamondbacks did last year, and to over overcome everybody, all the naysayers saying you got no chance each and every series. They're a couple games away from winning the World Series, and I absolutely, think, I think going forward, this group of guys, uh, what they what they that experience they got going forward, I think it's going to be nothing but great. I wouldn't. I'm a believer now. I wouldn't count the Diamondbacks. I think they've been proved themselves this offseason. And I think with with their with their mindset now, they're a very dangerous organization. I think it's gonna be a fun year for you guys over in over there in the desert. And I think I think Arizona will just go about their business like they always have, you know. You know, it's the desert and everybody kind of focuses on, you know, um, the West Coast, the Dodgers, San Diego, and San Francisco, and everybody will go about their business, and you know we'll see where the teams are at at All Star break. But uh, I think a majority of the players that are that really make this team uh, what they are are young, and they came up through via trades, uh, drafts, uh, and they 
played a little bit in the minor leagues and they developed him down there the Diamondback way and they brought him up and uh, and now they're all here and they're all clicking. They're all playing well together. And I think when the sooner you can do that with your teammates at an early age, uh, that's why I always thought that Seattle would, you know, was in the same boat then, you know, with with Omar and Junior Edgar J, myself, you know, in the early 90s, you know, that was a really talented team and you, you expected more from all of that. But, you know, we didn't have enough pitching to go along with the offense that we had, but that team was really good, you know, and I think anybody and everybody would probably say, yeah, that team, you know, didn't do as much as we thought with the, the amount of talent that was on that team. But that just goes to show you that you, you can be strong in offense, but if you're weak in pitching, you know, I can't go out there and pitch every day. You know, you need people that go out there and, and keep you in the game and, and here in in uh, Arizona, we got three starters that can do that. And just about every team, you know, is going to have or need at least two solid pitchers. And then if not a third, uh, especially when you're playing in seven game uh, playoffs and, and you're turning and then you need a strong bullpen, too, because after five, six innings, everything goes through the bullpen. Then And then it's all about matchups and all that. And you burn through your bullpen. Uh, um, pretty easily too through the playoffs. Yeah, and the playoff the playoff format. You know, we went. They got twelve teams, and and I'm a purist at heart. I I like to keep the game as much the same as it always is. But I understand going forward, there are tweaks and and things are going to make. When they first said twelve teams, I thought that's too many teams to make the playoffs. Right, like the NBA. But after watching it, it's like. This is what fans want. This is what keeps baseball in the forefront. Well, it's all about the fans. It's, it's yeah. you know, it's, it's all about the fans, and, and rightfully so. They're the ones that put the players on the field and pay the, pay the players. Um, inevitably, you want to have a chance to have your team in the playoffs, and if they're not winning the division – uh, then maybe they can be, you know, the the other wild card team. And, and you know, people have won this World Series being a wild card team. So, you know, as well as I do, you just need to get to the playoffs and then anything can happen after that. And you yep. saw that firsthand with the Diamondbacks. Without a doubt. Well, Randy, I appreciate you taking the time out today. Last question for you. Randy Johnson – what do you most what do you want to be remembered for when it's all said and done? Uh, yeah, I never really thought about that, but I guess uh, I, I, I guess you know just that I worked hard and I adapted to the game, you know, I took my lumps early on and I learned. Uh, but I developed along the way based on asking questions and watching, you know, other pitchers that were successful at the time. And then as I got successful, you know, uh, here in Arizona, uh, I tried to, you know, if someone had a question, you know, I like to think that I made them better, whether they were just watching me go about my business you know, the day after I pitched, what I was doing in the weight room or how I went about my game between the lines uh, or sitting down and just talking, uh, 
talking pitching, uh, I know um, having Kurt Schilling as my teammate for a couple of years here, he was uh, pretty complimentary. And, you know, when he got here to Arizona, he never had someone push him. Uh, and, and so, you know, I was doing those things even before he got here. You know, I uh, was pitching and had high pitch counts and had high, you know, um, inning innings uh, towards the end of the year. And I just, I think that he was able to see what I was doing every fifth day. And then he kind of got to the next level too. Uh, not necessarily by doing everything that I did in the weight room or those kind of things, but it, it was more of a mindset to him, maybe, you know, uh, and then he and myself, it, it really became a lot of fun. But I think the bottom line is, you know, being remembered uh, is someone's opinion of what, what who that person was. I guess just being a great competitor and uh, trying to do my best for my teammates and, and, you know, going at times above and beyond. And that started in Seattle in 95, you know, pitching uh, game three against the Yankees when I couldn't pitch, you know, any sooner because I pitched that one game playoff. And then we celebrated, went to New York. We came back down 0-2. I pitched game three. And then I came out of the bullpen. And, you know, I was willing to do whatever I had to do for my teammates because I think they would do the same, whether it was a hit or whatever. And, um, and then I did it here in, in Arizona. I pitched, you know, 230 innings during the regular season and then pitched all postseason in 2001. And I pitched games two and game six. And in game six, I pitched seven innings. And then the manager asked, if I take you out now, will you be available for the bullpen tomorrow night? And I go, I guess, you know, I, I, by that time, I had about 270 innings with everything accumulative. But, you know, I didn't mind. And I think anybody would be willing to do that. And so, you know, being put in that situation, it was more about, you know, trying to do whatever I could to help the team win, um, you know. And so I was always, you know, there was a couple of times, you know, it started in Seattle uh, and then in Arizona here. But I was always willing to do that for my teammates because I know they were going above and beyond in, in, in some way, too. And, and really, that's what it takes. Um, to win a championship or sometimes for someone to be seeing you and you, they just need to see that and then they want to try to do that, you know, and get to the next level, kind of like what Kurt Schilling did, you know, when he uh, joined me here in Arizona. Yeah, I, that one-two combo. And, and I, I watch it now, Randy. I see the postseason and I just think, all right, if Verl you know, if uh, Verlander, just pick him just as a, a hypothetical. If he's going game game one he's got to be able to go game four and game seven you get three out of him and it always goes back to well that's what probably randy and Schilling would have done in 01 they right. go game one game four game two game and you're getting the most innings out and it just doesn't happen that way anymore i don't know if we'll ever see that type of bum gardener when they won the world series with, right. with the san francisco giants i think that's what it's all about and like you said how many how many times do you really get that opportunity to win a, a world series man yeah. they're far and few between and the fact that you had that 
you know, that thought process of, hey, I'm here. I got to do what I can do. This might be the, my only chance to win. Right. You know, I, I, exactly. wish, I wish we'd get back to that mindset. People tell me all the time, I got to go to one World Series uh, with the Braves in 99. We got whooped by the Yankees. And I thought, ah, I'll be back. I'll have plenty more opportunities. Yeah, no, it's not that go. easy, man. Yeah, not, for whatever it's reason. It's the hardest thing to do in sports, you know. It some really guys, is. Some guys are blessed, and, and some of the greatest players we both played with, uh, Griffey, never even got to a World Series. One right. of the greatest players I've ever been around. So, right, yeah. It's a pretty darn special thing. Well, I appreciate you coming on, uh, Randy. Uh, best of luck over there in Arizona. I'll be checking you out on some of the games. Uh, for those of you watching the Boom Podcast now on YouTube or listening, I appreciate you tuning in, and we will see you next time.